Hi everyone, welcome to STEPS audio channel. We are very excited to share our content from STEPS events to learn all about the latest trends in startups, digital media, fintech, future tech, and wellness in emerging markets. You can find us on Enagami, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Make sure to subscribe to your favorite channel and we hope you enjoy the content. I'm an old timer in the ecosystem and a while ago it was very hard to find money and very hard to get capital. Um, and today what we're seeing is a huge transformation where governments and cities are waking up and they're saying actually uh, this makes a lot of sense, we have to invest in entrepreneurship, we have to invest in our youth and we're kind of seeing the returns that uh, could potentially happen both on an impact basis and on a financial return basis. Um, so we're going to be talking about sovereign funds and we're going to be talking to Sharif al-Badawi who, in my opinion, is a very unique individual that has, that he's going to tell us his background and his story in a second, but I just want to put this in context because he's worn so many hats. He's been the entrepreneur, he's been the VC, and now he's crossed over to the government side. So very rare are we able to dissect the brain of a single individual who's worn so many different hats. And I think that's really uh, an incredible place to be, Sharif. So welcome. Thank you. Thank um, you. Tell us a little bit about who you are and your background. So just a quick snapshot. My parents are Egyptian. I was born in Los Angeles. Uh, lived there most of my life. Uh, studied medicine. Graduated with neuroscience. And uh, met some computer science guys at UCLA and decided that I wanted to do what they were doing instead. Another twist. <laughs> and uh, they had website.com in the mid-90s, which at that time, you know, your domain name was your business. Yeah. And uh, so I got into tech. Uh, I had a little bit of design skill. So I was the everything except the coder. So I sold business development, design, business analyst, which now is more product manager, but we called the business analyst then. So I wrote all the specs for the developers. I just was shy of actually being able to code. And we went through the dot-com boom and bust. Uh, luckily, I had a client that, that I had a good relationship with. We got rid of all the engineers in the company. Even the CEO had left. I was the only person left. Even though I had the, like, this insecurity, like I'm the weakest because I'm not a coder. They all left because they could get jobs and you know, they, they didn't need to build anymore. And I was still managing clients. So that's why I was still the last person, me and the server. And our client ended up buying the company from us. So it was the first acquisition, it was very small. Uh, worked for him for a couple years, then the market recovered. When the market recovered, I launched another similar company called SoftScope, which was doing uh, basically scoping web systems for other clients. But the market at that point, 2003, had really recovered. I did that business for four years and realized uh, that I never want to do a service-based business again because the promise of this development that we were doing was that you can build it once and sell it many times, but we weren't doing that because we were doing it for other people. And, uh, and so that business was profitable f every quarter for four years, but not growing. It was very difficult to grow. And uh, so I said, okay, we're well, going to switch to the product-based businesses. And I launched a video encoding technology company called Framecaster at a time before YouTube had launched. So if anyone's old enough to remember America's Funniest Home Videos, of course. They, they would tell you to send in your home video. Bob so that they passed away. Rest his soul. Yeah, so <laughs> rest his soul. So they would ask you to make a copy of your VHS tape and sign a waiver and then send it in when they index it six months later 
they would you know, do it over the mail and stuff, and then they would post it. And then CNN iReport would tell you, send whatever you see on your phone, yep. send it in. But those were 3P video, and it was very difficult to translate that to television. It was super crappy. So we do a, a transcoding software where you can send packets individually, transcode on the person's laptop, and then send a small packet, then reassemble it in CNN's files, named, indexed, everything. Um, and that was my first fundraise that I did for that company. Um, went through a lot of turbulence with the company because, you know, co-founder things and all this kind of stuff that I had to learn. And, uh, and then I dabbled in a few other businesses. We actually tried to Wait, do... did you exit that company? Uh, I what, got exited. A... Oh. <laughs> so I got fired from my own company, and then I got kicked off the board, and then it just got worse <laughs> and worse. Um, and then I tried to do some offline businesses because I was, like, so jaded by what was happening. Uh, that wasn't me. I mean, I, I learned that... What we call business, sitting in an office behind a computer, is not business. Like, being in the street doing business, that's a totally different skill set, and I wasn't good at Absolutely. So I tried to do clothing with my cousin, failed miserably. I tried to do, like, juice importing with my other, my brother-in-law, it didn't work. So you've work. been through booms and busts. Yes, lots you've of busts. You've been kicked out. <laughs> you fundraised, but then also companies went bust. <laughs> yeah, and, and I just liked the game. At, at the end of the day, I didn't care what the subject matter is. I just liked building. And... Uh, my wife and I, or she, we weren't married yet at the time, but we had an opportunity to buy an e-commerce website from a good friend of mine. So we bought it in um, 2005, and she practically ran the whole thing, um, and we sold in 2012, so that was my, our second exit. Nice. It wasn't like mind-blowing amounts, but it's just, you know, doing the cycles was fun. Sure. Uh, I, in 2009, I moved up to the Bay Area in San Francisco, and I joined this original website.com founder, and it was also the guy about the baby shower website from, and yeah. it's also the guy who started AdMob. So AdMob was the world's largest mobile ad network. Of course, it wasn't when it started. But I helped connect him to Sequoia, and Sequoia funded the Series A. Nice. Just to give you guys a sense, if you see what's happening in the market right now with ticket sizes and valuations, AdMob was doing great, and other VCs were, were coming in. Finally, we, went, we somehow got to Sequoia. Sequoia led the Series A with about $3 million at a three and a half or 3.6 million pre-money. Yeah. <laughs> so they ate it. <laughs> yeah, not $40 million seed rounds, you know, that you're seeing today. Times are changing, Sharif. It was crazy. And that was, a, that was a Sequoia Series A at the time. And that catapulted the business like you wouldn't believe. Once, uh, Sequoia did something really interesting, actually, at the time. They, they said, wait six months before you announce give you enough time to ramp up, get talent in, because once other VCs here, Sequoia, funded something, they all go chase something like it. Right. So anyways, I think I'm, I'm telling this story too slowly, but I'll try to go a little faster. Anyways, within two years of, of being at AdMob, Apple put a bid on us. Steve Jobs, like the, 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 the same, uh, his cell phone was the one making the, the deal with Omar, uh, the founder. And uh, that deal didn't end up happening. We ended up selling to Google instead within a 72-hour lockup. Crazy. Crazy. I mean, and that, the, the, the Google deal had a $700 million breakup fee if the FCC doesn't approve the deal. Cool. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's what me, I'm going to fast forward. Yeah, fast forward. Now. I went to Google. <laughs> Seven years at Google, and then I launched 500 startups for the Middle East. So what <laughs> is, is the normal path for every entrepreneur to end up going into VC? Is that, I mean, how did you make the crossover from you know, making exits, understanding the framework of what's happening, the life of an entrepreneur, you know, you're down and dirty in it, and then yeah. what, what happened? 
I, I, had, I had always dreamed of, of being a VC. Since 2006, I graduated MBA, and I wrote in the time capsule, 10-year time capsule, where do you think you're going to be in 10 years? And I wrote, I'm going to have a big unicorn exit. Well, they weren't called unicorns. I'm going to have a big exit, and then I'm going to become a VC to help other founders. Yeah. It was a, a, a really black box back then. If you were not in network, and I was not in network, we were in LA, and we, brown people. And so like, we were, never had the chance to get to VCs, it felt like. I did get there in exactly 10 years. So it was, it was 2016, I joined 500 to launch. So, so if entrepreneurs right there... I didn't take the path that was in the time capsule. <laughs> but, but you ended up there I somehow. ended up there on the dot. Okay, how was your time in VC? So, it, I mean, so it's still happening, but it's amazing. I mean, in 2016, we decided to launch the first U.S. firm to launch a MENA-dedicated fund, which was called 500 Falcons. We, we fundraised. It took about a year and a half, two years to fundraise a $30 million fund. 2017, we launched that fund. We invested in 181 companies in three years, 51 follow-on investments. And then when COVID hit, we were done deployment. Yeah. So that was that period. Okay. I mean, we all know very well, I think, most that period. <laughs> Why did you leave VC? Well, so I didn't. You um, didn't, but yeah. what made you say, okay, I want to do something else in VC? Um, so, so some of this might be a little controversial, but you know, like I, I try to look at the ecosystem as a whole, and I look at the Arab world and, and the Middle East and emerging markets as a whole. I don't think that any single country really can stand on its own as an attractive okay. uh, pro proposition. Because I went up and down Sand Hill Road, and I kept saying, like, why aren't you guys investing in MENA? This was 2015. And they would say, well, you only had one exit in MENA. And it was like Maktoub, Maktoub to, to Yahoo. I said, no, 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 that can't be. So I started mapping, and I did this MenaScapes mapping just on the side as a fun project, and I found 60, 70 exits, tech exits. And then Magnet was launching, and at the time I said, oh, you're doing it? Okay, you do it. And, and he th Philip started finding more and more exits and increasing in size and frequency. So I said, this story is not true. How come they're not hearing about what's happening? And, and I just said, okay, well, we're going to do it. And we started selling this whole emerging market story, going to every ministry from Morocco to Oman to Jordan, like back and forth, two and a half years from California. And then decided, okay, in 2018, I got to move here to continue doing this. And uh, I didn't really transition, except that in, during that COVID period, I had this COVID clarity where the LPs, we had four sovereign wealth funds from 2017, and those two of them were gone. Uh, one of them was sort of trying to get the renewal, and the third one had just started as our final close, so they're still going today. But today, from an institutional LP, or the, those who invest in the VC funds in the region, there's like four, you know? You have, uh, as sovereigns? Yeah, ish. I mean, uh, almost every sovereign has woken up somehow, either with the support. In MENA? I mean, Bahrain has one, Saudi has yes. one, UAE has... So, so Saudi has two, Bahrain has one, Abu Dhabi, Abu Dhabi has one, or right. two, sorry, two. Jordan has one. Jordan has one. Now Lebanon, Egypt has one. Lebanon had one. Yeah, had <laughs> one. Um, and, and now Dubai has one. But when I was looking at them, like each had sort of uh, different angles of how they were going to do their investments and, and things that they wanted the VCs, the target VCs that yeah. they were going to invest in uh, to cover. I mean, you know this pretty well. But uh, in my mind, like I did not think it, it was easy to execute on the fiduciary duty of a regional fund if you're going to agree to certain things here and certain things in this country. And so to me, I was like, take a pause. Okay, I don't know if this is the right thing I want to do. And, um, and uh, the, the other side was I, we went to the private sector. 
family offices, conglomerates and stuff. And it turned out, well, they had different strings or you know, things that they wanted to see as yeah. well. So for me, I think those things to me disrupted the fiduciary duty of a fund manager. And you know, I'm also think about it as I didn't grow up here, so I'm seeing things from the outside or how I was trained. And, and so I'm not judging you know, how so it is. It what just you, wasn't the Tell thing us yet. now, what are you creating? What's yeah. the big news that everybody should know? Yeah, what was, what was so exciting about this opportunity is that around uh, a year, uh, over a year ago, we started talking about the strategy for Dubai. Because Dubai hadn't in history, like historically had a fund to invest in VCs or in startups. But we heard a lot of stuff, like Dubai wants to do this, yeah. and there's a, you know, there were some fund. There were some attempts before, yeah. um, different people, different partners, different everything, but there were some attempts, and, and, and so this was the time where they said, you know what, there's a lot of pressure coming in on Dubai right now. We want to be able to sort of launch this platform to serve a number of different needs. One is we need more, you know, deep tech, frontier tech in the region, and private VCs uh, don't really have the, the patient capital to do it or the type of structure for the fund to do it. So tell us exactly the name of the fund yeah. and where you're investing, like very clearly so people know how to get in touch with yeah. you and get some Do we some have money. enough time to tell you the name of the you fund? You have to do it. Just to tell you the name. Okay. So Dubai Future District Fund is the full name. We're, we're trying to nickname it as DF Squared. Uh, a lot of people call it DFDF. You can call it the future fund if you want. Like, that's cool. why it's still a whole topic of like what the name is. But that's the name. The reason it's called the Dubai Future District Fund is that D DIFC, DWTC, and Emirates Towers, those three geographic regions became the future district. Yeah. So they're, 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 we're the fund of the future district. And uh, the shareholders of the fund are DIFC and Dubai Future Foundation. Okay. 50-50 uh, for, for now. They anchored the fund with $200 million as a start. But this is structured as an evergreen fund, so we're meant to continue on forever. We're supposed to have a much longer-term horizon than a private VC. 50% of the capital is meant to be deployed into venture capital funds, and there's sort of three flavors of that. One is new and emerging fund managers. We want to encourage more fund managers in the region so that founders have more optionality, have more different flavors of sector and stage and geographic focus. We want to bring international funds to have a presence and in investing here, exactly like you guys are doing. And third is there are incumbent VCs who have been dedicated to the region, and we want to also support yeah. them. How many entrepreneurs in the room? Good. How can they get money? The other 50%. So the other, well, you can go to the funds we invest in, of course, <laughs> but you can go straight to us too, because we will be doing direct investing from seed to series C. Now, that's... Seed to series C could mean anything from a dollar to 50. It could be, and everything in timing, right? So staging. We're in beta right now, okay. first year. We still need to add capital to the 200 million. Sure. So this year we have a target to reach 500 million by the end of the year, a billion by the next year, dollars. So in the beginning, we're pacing everything. If you think of our mandate as there's geographic mandate in concentric circles, there's staging mandate, and there's sector mandate. We know that the deep tech frontier tech is high capex, long R&Ds. It's not something we're going to do in our first quarter. We don't have enough dry powder to do that, and there's a, there's a more lower hanging fruit to do now. So what are you going to do now? B2B SaaS, FinTech, health, I mean, sectors is, is less relevant to us than the thesis of 2050 economies. So we have future finance, or that, that whole pillar of future finance is reg tech, legal tech, all the FinTechs, embedded finance, and financial inclusion. Cool. That's easy to define. Future economies is our other pillar. So it's less about the particular sectors in the pillar, although it's pretty open. It's how those sectors are pushing for 2050 economy uh, sort of thesis. So we can't say it's health tech or not health tech, because some health tech does fit. Right. Other health tech might not. 
Right. Um, but and then the pacing is important too. So what we do in year but one. But then how do you gauge that impact? Like, do they yeah. have to be? Do they have to be Dubai-based? Do they have to recruit people in Dubai? Do they have to pay for an office? I mean, what are the things that are metrics that you're going to look at that says, yes, you're eligible. We can see you growing with us to our goal in, uh, you know, that's a, that's a question, you know, the, my, me and the team are always grappling with on how to do this. And a lot of it has to do with the staging. So in the beginning, we're going to go for the core of our thesis first, which is Dubai. Like, geographically, it's Dubai. UAE, MENA, including Pakistan, Turkey. Then Minasa, uh, Miasa, which is Sub-Saharan Africa, sub South Asia. Then global. So that's how far we go. We're going to go all the way global. But are we going to do that today? No. We need to see the impact in Dubai first. On the, on the types of investments, we want a short return horizon to show impact in seven to 10 years. Medium term horizon, we'll start doing more deep tech. Then we'll start doing the bets on longer term horizon when we have, let's say, 50 funds under our portfolio. Yeah. The funds are taking care of all the, the regular sure. stuff. Sure. We'll start filling gaps where they're not. And so we want to play a role, since we are government, as you said now, which I try not to see myself that way, but we are government, and we're trying to fill roles where there's gaps where the private sector isn't okay. filling. Are you deploying now? We are. How long is the application process? It's two minutes to apply. <laughs> How do you apply? There's a website, dfdf.vc. There's so, a fund application and a startup application, super short. So um, I'm a startup, I go on two minutes, I put in the application, absolutely. and then how long do I wait? Our team usually picks it up and responds within like 48 hours or something, just to at least give you an indication that we're now looking at your application, or you know, it's a pass, it's not a fit. And then it might take like um, some week or a week or so to schedule a call, get a discovery sort of uh, yep. with, the, with the founders, and then maybe a couple of weeks. So we have monthly ICs. Yep. So every third week of the month, we submit our pre-reading materials to the IC, and then the fourth week is the IC, cool. and then the cycle repeats. We're very short on time, but yep. in, in today's world, as an entrepreneur, you have money in different places, and everybody's telling you to do stuff. So you're getting pulled and tugged in different places, and all you want is money so you can grow your business. So you've been an entrepreneur before. If you put yourself in the entrepreneur's shoes today, with all of these pockets of funding available, different cities, set up here, give me an ADGM, give me a, you know, what would you do and why would you come to you? Look, I, I commiserate with that challenge quite a bit and I'm always thinking about it. So it's kind of the reason I had an LP issue and I'm like, oh, there's a VC issue. Um, and I try to think about the problems from their side. When I was running companies, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be derailed by a large customer who says, oh, build it this way for us. And we used to always warn seed stage founders, like, be careful of large customers too early. And same thing happening here. And we, we have funds coming here asking us, should we side with this or that? I said, my advice to the founders and to the funds is don't do what's not natural for your own roadmap. So first and foremost, what is natural to make you a success? Go there. You're like, oh, there's no money there, right? So you want to go where the money is. But if you do that, you have, you know, you risk the, the chance of derailing your roadmap because of some other intangible, like incentive or, you know, free this or maybe money. So do money. what's best for your business. Do what's best for your business first. And if your business is successful at its core, hopefully the money will come. I can't echo that enough for everybody who has a startup. Uh, you are lucky today because you have a huge menu on your buffet on where you want to go and get stuff, but stay you know, true to your core, true to your business, and then that will lead you the way. Yeah. Otherwise, 
you're just going to run after money and not build anything. And hopefully, I mean, you'll have a lot more optionality today than, than the founders did five years ago. Cool. I mean, just from all the work everybody's doing. Um, and I see it already. And, and, you know, now we're coming into the game. I know all the other countries are also thinking of launching more programs and, yeah. and more funding. Sharif, thank you so much yeah. for believing in the region, staying in the region, and working with governments, and yeah. bringing the money to all the people that need it here and are the change makers. Thank yeah. you so thank much. Thank you, Waleed. It's a pleasure. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the episode. You can find our content on Anagami, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social media at Step Conference, and let's stay in touch.